is Bloomberg Surveillance. If you look at job growth relative to labor force growth, this is one of the better recoveries we've ever seen. The Fed cannot run monetary policy for the entire world. The Fed has to run monetary policy for the U.S. The last thing we need is for the banking sector to join the other three segments that we've talked about in the past and become unhinged. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keene. Bloomberg Surveillance from New York. We welcome all of you worldwide. Bloomberg 1200 Boston. Bloomberg 99.1 FM, Washington. Good morning. Bloomberg 1130 here in a frigid New York. And getting colder. I guess there'll be wind chill and all that and single-digit kind of uh, weather as well. We say good morning out on the West Coast, Bloomberg 960, the Bay Area. And importantly, Sirius and XM, Channel 119. Good morning, New Hampshire. And good morning, South Carolina. Lots to talk about. We'll do that on polling here uh, in a bit. Uh, before I get started, John Tucker, tell me the cold. How, what's the level of cold? That we're going to see in New York. Yeah, well, I'm. Like, you know, you said February. that. I brought up the uh, the BCOM index, and I'm just looking at my natural gas costs. Still down about two percent. I was hovering around uh, a two o five. That's yeah. extraordinary, and that tells me I've, I've got more, a lot more money to spend, disposable income. Yeah, the heating so far this year has been good. Well, maybe we'll see. We'll adjust that here, but it sounds like it's partly February uh, here in New York this morning. It's Bloomberg, supposed to be cold. Bloomberg surveillance uh, brought to you by Cone Resnick Accounting Tax Advisory to keep your business on top of issues in the evolving renewable energy market. It takes dedicated industry experts like Cone Resnick. Find out more at ConeResnick.com. We spell to please. Cone Resnick, C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K, ConeResnick.com. Thank you them, to them uh, for their uh, support as well. Eurodollar, 112.67. 112.67, so uh, a stronger euro yesterday gives back a little bit. Yen flat, 115.03 with a little bit of dollar weakness. It's been great to talk to Bob Sinch and Mark Chandler, two uh, nuanced views on foreign exchange. I have been looking forward to this discussion for something in the vicinity of six months. His world, I mean the surveillance world, is always in crisis. Frank Newport's world is in crisis. He joins us from Gallup Poll, uh, which is a most interesting business right now. Frank, I love what U.S. News did, a very fair and balanced and respectful analysis of how we poll now. And the money quote is, the science of public surveying is in something of a crisis right now. Is Frank Newport in a crisis right now? No, and I don't believe polling is either. Um, those Cassandras are kind of making a cottage business now out there about how polling is uh, problematic. But we have faced as an industry challenges before, and we continue to face challenges now. But I think um, our efforts, which is what we do for a living, to try to estimate uh, public opinion is still robust and uh, right. is still still working well. How do you work with cell phones? What's the new technology that you use? I mean, you worked for Gallup. What was it? It was horse and buggy, and you went around and checked them <laughs> off at the farm? When I, absolutely. There's some pictures on our wall. When uh, Dr. Yeah. George Gallup started back in the mid-1930s, uh, they would do primary sampling units uh, across the country and send live humans out with clipboards and literally yeah. go into the farmer's field 
uh, if necessary, yeah. to find the person to interview and so forth, in-person interviewing. You, it shifted to phones in the late 1980s. What do you do with a cell phone We now? started including cell phones in our sample. We call them. We started including them in 2004. Now 60%, uh, well over half of all of our interviews are conducted by cell phones, and we just call people on their cell phones. Good. Okay, let's move on. I want to move forward, not so much New Hampshire and the lessons learned, but the amendment and adapting to South Carolina. Let's start with Mr. Sanders, who I, I, I think there's not been enough said. He's from Vermont. I believe New Hampshire's next to Vermont. How does Mr. Sanders play in South Carolina? What do your polls say? Well, we have not polled in South Carolina. We're looking more, uh, particularly on Sanders, we're spending most of our time looking at his issues um, and how they uh, jibe with the American public. Clearly, um, our data, when we've looked at his image, which is very important, we do track that. What do Americans and what do Democrats think about Bernie Sanders? His clear appeal, as you've seen, is to young people, but yeah. it's also to whites. And South Carolina obviously uh, has many more people of color than New Hampshire, which has the lowest percent of minorities or one of the lowest in the nation. So I think clearly, at least in theory, Hillary Clinton uh, has a more um, receptive uh, Democratic audience in South Carolina than she would have had up there. As you say, almost all of the western border, not all, but almost all of the western border of New Hampshire is Vermont. Uh, when I, when I look at, and I say this, folks, with great respect for the process, is Mr. Sanders a fringe candidate, or does he have the legitimacy of the articles that I read about Mr. Trump? Well, uh, you're asking me, is Mr. Sanders a fringe candidate, yep. Senator Sanders? Yep. Well, um, he certainly appeared that way, but when we look at his positions, here's my conclusion. I say that what Sanders' agenda, his platform, his policies, remind me a lot of the Affordable Care Act, where a lot of people agreed with the individual components of the Affordable Care Act, as you know, things like allowing teenagers or young people to ride on their parents' policies and so on and so forth. However, as a whole, the act didn't do that well. Uh, with the public. It still doesn't. You know, there's a plurality opposed to the Affordable Care Act now. When we look down the list of everything uh, Bernie Sanders has proposed, I would say a clear majority of those things do resonate with the American public and the public would agree with right. him. So he's on the issues that the public agrees with. A few don't, uh, like abortion, where Americans want restrictions and he doesn't. The single-payer tax uh, health care right. system, uh, not so much. Americans still want private insurance in there, but a lot of the things Americans resonate with. Now, whether as a package, right. the vote for a 74-year-old uh, who's called himself a socialist uh, nationwide, I don't know. But clearly he's tapped into some things with his individual positions. The governor from Ohio and the lady from Hewlett-Packard have, quote, severe name ID problems. Absolutely. Did the governor from Ohio fix that last night? Well, I think that uh, you're talking about Kasich, and I think he certainly will go up. Um, even at before, just before last night when we interviewed Republicans nationwide, <clears throat> he was familiar only to 54%. Others, almost half of Republicans across the country, wow. couldn't offer an opinion of Kasich. And that was as of interviewing done on Monday night. Uh, and uh, he's clearly going to move up. Sanders himself had below 50% name ID back in the summer, and he's now up to 75%. So I think Kasich definitely will, his name ID will move up. How do you do that? How do you move your name ID up? I don't want to be so jaundiced as to say, is just money, whether you're spending it in the Boston TV market or you go down to the uniqueness of South Carolina. But but what's the Frank Newport formula for boosting name ID? Do you swear on air? Is that how you well, do it? Um, 
That's a good question. I mean, Donald Trump didn't need it. He had 95% uh, name ID before he began campaigning, but clearly he's dominated the media. I would say slow and steady. I mean, obviously, most Americans uh, are reminded of who these candidates are by reading, uh, by listening, by watching, by reading traditional media and also online media. So I think his name ID is going to go up because people are just going to bump into his name more now that he came in second in New Hampshire and will be given more uh, status when commentators such as yourself are are babbling about the candidates. His name will come up more frequently. See, that Frank Newport just took a shot at us. No, 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 no. This is a very positive word there. I didn't mean to. (laughs) I should have said very uh, eruditely discussing the candidates. I I can't spell erudite, so you're okay. Frank Newport, when you look at, you know, I guess the polling and the character of this so much, is a dynastic, and we've got the Clinton dynasty, the Bush dynasty. Let's focus on the the Bushes right now. We'll come back on the Clintons. The the idea that you sort of pick your nostalgic Bush depending on the state you're in. Obviously, Governor Bush is going to do that with George W. and and all that. What's the value of dynasty? In 2016. Um, well, it certainly confers name ID, as we've talked about. But um, but beyond that, I don't think there's a lot of value, as we've seen. Uh, Jeb Bush, clearly, being the, the brother of one and the son of another president, uh, has name ID, and people know who he is. But that uh, his image among Republicans has stayed very tepid. He just hasn't been able to, to move the needles on that. And the biggest thing we're tracking now in terms of images is the free fall for Hillary Clinton. You know, she's extremely well-known, but uh, Democrats, uh, just as each day goes by, yeah. are more likely to tell us they have an unfavorable opinion of her. So right. uh, it, it buys you name ID, but that doesn't buy you um, yeah. votes. We'll come back on Secretary Clinton. Very quickly here, Frank Newport, were you around when Ed Muskie tearfully said goodbye? Well, I was certainly alive, uh, but I was yeah. not in the polling industry You were in the time. game then? No, boy, I think boy, I was in boy, school. Have things changed? Have things changed? Um, so clearly, the only thing that uh, the only uh, the only constant is change. Has that uh, things clearly move? Well, uh, we've talked about a lot of the players here. Moving on from New Hampshire, and we'll come back and talk about uh, Secretary Clinton. Don't forget, with all due respect, with our political coverage and the Bloomberg Politics website as well. Mark Halpern and John Hyman leading the charge here. Megan uh, Murphy out of Washington D.C. has been very helpful to Bloomberg surveillance over the last number of, of days is really, you know, the forever U.S. campaign. For those of you globally, uh, it goes on forever. I think it's like 500-day dash to the first Tuesday of November. We're barely starting here uh, with a drama yesterday in New Hampshire. Future's up 20, Dow Future's up 136. We'll continue with Frank Newport of Gallup, the Euro, 112.65, and Yen still with that shocking 114 handle, 114.94. Bob Sinch making very clear the Japanese uh, elites want to keep that uh, above a 115. Um, West Texas, 28.45, the barrel. And now in New York with the news, here's Michael Barr. Tom, thank you very much. The next stop for the Republican presidential candidates is South Carolina. The Republican primary will be held in the state on February 20th. Donald Trump is coming off a decisive win in New Hampshire. Democrat Bernie Sanders beat Hillary Clinton by 21 percentage points last night in the New Hampshire Democratic primary. The next stop for the Democrats is the Nevada caucus. The U.S. Supreme Court blocked President Obama's plan to cut emissions from power plants. 
The 5-4 vote yesterday halts the Environmental Protection Agency's clean power plan for now. Utilities, coal miners, and more than two dozen states say the agency had overstepped its authority and intruded on states' rights. The man who killed Senator Robert Kennedy in 1968 will be before parole board today. It will be the 15th time before parole board for Sirhan Sirhan, who is now 71. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Tom? Michael, thanks so much. Again, hydrocarbons, oil, a shocking number still, 28.46, up 52 cents. We're with Frank Newport of Gallup on the road to South Carolina, Bloomberg Surveillance. The news update brought to you by Benzo Bush Motor Car in Angwood, New Jersey, offering a commitment to service, luxury, and value with total transparency from America's premier automotive dealership. To find the way you drive at BenzoBush.com. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are advancing, mirroring gains in European shares and oil prices. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. U.S. futures are maintaining their gains since the last time we spoke. Dow futures currently higher by 143 points. SB's gained 21. And Nasdaq futures rise by 66. Main European markets are also trading higher, led by 5% gains in Italy. And Deutsche Bank gains 13% in Germany. On the economic front, at 10 o'clock, Yellen testifies to a House committee. Testimony will be released at 8.30. After the bell last night, Akamai and Disney beat. Panera Bread EPS topped highest estimates. And Solar City Q1 loss view is wider than estimates. Shares are down 31% pre-market. Regarding earnings today, Time Warner EPS beat. And Humana EPS was in line while revenue missed. Finally, some key Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Salesforce raised to buy at CLSA. Pandora cut to market perform at Cowan. XL Group cut to sell at Deutsche Bank. Coca-Cola raised to hold at SockGen. City raised to strong buy at Raymond James. And finally, U.S. Bank Corp raised to outperform over at Wells Fargo. Live from the first of breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. To hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg type squawk go on your terminal. That's S Q U A W K go. And that's a Bloomberg business flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Invesco. Don't settle for average in your portfolio to Invesco. The right approach means investing with high conviction. Find out more at Invesco.com slash high conviction. What a pleasure to have Frank Newport with us with Gallup. To me, the oldest of the poll. They're the venerable crew. Frank, what what is it like having all these competitors? We have like poll uh, poll nirvana now. There's like eight hundred thousand polls. Are we pulled out? Are there too many polls? I don't I don't think so. <clears throat> uh, George Gallup, when he started the company, had a lot of competitors as well. Roper, really, uh, and Elmo Crosley. Yeah, he was not alone in the field even back then. And and um, we've been asked that question before. From a broad perspective, industry perspective, as long as they're well done, which a lot of them are not, but as long as we have well done polls, then it's good. It's kind of like saying, do we need? Uh, is it bad to have more newspapers? Right. You know, it's good to actually have more people trying to assess public opinion. What we need more of is trying to put it all together. Uh, and tell people okay. uh, tell people what it means. So let's get to the cup of coffee that uh, Secretary Clinton has to have with a few people around her desk this morning. Frank Newport, since we began tracking in July, 
Mrs. Clinton has averaged a 16-point higher net favorable score among Democrats than Senator Sanders. Is New Hampshire an outlier in the Clinton morning in America sun rises in South Carolina? Uh, no, because she's extreme. That's the average. And if you look at the graph, she has over the last three weeks fallen precipitously compared to Senator Sanders. And this is her image, which we think is important at this point. Democrats nationwide, we say, do you have a favorable, unfavorable opinion of Clinton and then of Sanders? And her image among uh, Democrats is just uh, basically, if you look at the graph, plummeted over the last uh, three Why? weeks. And at the same time, Sanders has gone up. Why? We, we are about to ask that. We don't know exactly Fair. empirically. Fair. But I believe that it would have to do with uh, emails um, and, and other uh, okay. criticisms and other things she's had to deal with. When we last asked people what comes to mind first when you think of Hillary Clinton uh, uh, a bit ago, uh, emails was the number one thing that came up. So I still think that's part of the part of her you, issue that she has to deal with. But my bottom line is right. her image now among Democrats, and particularly among all Americans now, is significantly worse than it was when she okay. was campaigning at any point in 08. You own the historical coverage of tilting left, tilting right, running center, the migration of that vector across the electoral campaign. Did she make a mistake tilting left to take on Senator Sanders? Well, the country as a whole is tilted left. Uh, if you look at the graph, you No, wait, I thought the country as a whole is tilted right. No, that's incorrect. When you ask people, are you liberal, moderate, or conservative, we're seeing an increase in the percent who say liberal. Mm-hmm. We're in particular seeing an increase in the percent of Democrats over the last, you know, five to ten years who now are willing to use the L word or willing to identify as liberal. Is that banned on, is that like the George Carlin's seven dirty words? No, it isn't actually. And a lot of uh, Democrats, as you know and have covered, have tried to use the P word. Progressive, yes, which they you. think is more palatable, but we find in our data more people are willing to accept the L word, the liberal word. Interesting. So, Interesting. Um, the the world is moving somewhat more in that direction. What does We're Secretary Clinton have to do? Attitude. What does she have to do to write the last three weeks debacle? Well, if I had to summarize one thing, it would be uh, somehow be honest um, with the public, somehow convince them. Uh, that she's uh, straightforward and as, what's the correct word, Sanders comes across, and this is my personal opinion, not based on the data, Please. but he comes across as a straightforward, honest guy who has policies that he's pushing, and whether you like him or not, he's not duplicitous about it. He says, yeah, I want a single-payer tax system. That's it. You know, if you don't like it, go away, but that's what I, that's what I want. And I think that at this point in time is a little of something that Trump's picked up on as well. The public's looking uh, for that in their politicians. So somehow right. I, I would, uh, you know, the, she could ponder firing anybody who tells her what to do and just says, uh, say what you think. Uh, Interesting. Says, uh, you know, Secretary Clinton, just say yeah. what you think. And I, perhaps that will resonate with the public. But Frank, I think it's a personality thing. we got to get you on more often. Frank, one minute left. I want you to quantify Gallup's study of our fury, Michael Barbaro of the New York Times, wonderful word. The word I've been using is just simple anger. Quantify America's anger on this February morning. Uh, I would respond to that. Americans are not personally angry. Uh, Their personal lives are going okay. Uh, Some a little financial anxiety. But what they're angry about is the government. The one word I would use is the G word, government. Americans are just extraordinarily dissatisfied with the way their government functions and have lost confidence in government. And therefore, people, including Sanders, who's a sitting senator, but who criticizes the Senate extraordinarily, say it's out of control and controlled by special interests. Uh, when somebody like uh, Sanders and Trump come along and criticize government, they're resonating with that part of the public. 
Okay, Frank, fabulous. Frank Newport, very kind to be with us the day after uh, New Hampshire. He is with a small startup polling agency called Gallup. Futures up 23, Dow futures up 152. Don't forget Janet Yellen. It's a bit confusing here why you help me here. Janet Yellen is speaking at 10, prepared testimony, and there'll be Q&A afterwards, always theatric with the House of Representatives, but you're going to see the headlines from the text in five minutes, in five minutes. And Michael McKee and I will tear through that uh, as we will. I have not seen the embargoed speech. I'm not going to leak it out. They they don't give it to me because I'm too mouthy. But the bottom line is uh, we're going to have that for you in five minutes, and then we'll interpret that, as I'm sure the market will as well. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. The old do respect highlight coming up brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit Land Rover Tristate.com for special offers during their only adventure sales event. Land Rover above and beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. Headlines just out. Michael McKee digesting thousands of Janet Yellen headlines. That means it's time for our economic indicators. And that report brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. 866-462-3638. Or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. A lift to yields. Yields a little bit higher here in the recent seconds. Equity markets churn up 20 on the futures. Always interesting. A little bit of dollar strength. I'll call it with the yen 114.95. Mike, I'm going to call it an immediate market churn off these headlines. Mr. McKee? What do you see? I suspect they'll go higher. Uh, She sounds relatively dovish here, saying that the economy, she expects, will will warrant only gradual rate rises and that financial strains could weigh on the outlook if they are persistent. They do expect inflation to remain low in the near term. Over the medium term, it'll rise to their uh, 2% target. Uh, Some surveys of inflation expectations are at the low end. That's a reference to the numbers we've seen recently that have deteriorated, Jim Bullard talking about that. She does say that labor market and wage gains should support incomes and spending. There has been solid improvement in labor markets. Lower oil and long-term borrowing costs should provide some offset she uses to the, the problems word. out there. The, the, the dreaded slack word is an early headline. There's still some slack, which she would expect her to say. Mm-hmm. She's, she has believed that. But again, the focus on what's been uh, going on in the markets, she notes equity right. market declines the higher dollar and wider credit spreads as problems out there. On the other hand, because of oil, she sees reasons why growth could exceed their forecast, and they don't see a sharp slowdown in China. So uh, the bottom line is this quote, monetary policy is by no means on a preset course. In other words, take that dot chart and throw it out. I, I, I strongly agree with that, and I strongly agree with you. And folks, we need to say a major shout-out to our economic and government team led by Marty Schenker. Mike McKee and I have teed up 
smart people writing out these headlines about what's in the verbiage. I totally agree with you, Mark. Mike, <laughs> preset, preset course dovetails with this new phrase, actual progress. So they're looking for actual progress along a non-preset course. Do I have that right? Yes. I mean, they, they've been looking for act, they have got progress on the labor market, one of their mandates. They're not seeing it on inflation. Oil prices are keeping inflation down. And she says inflation expectations have gone lower. Her main focus is financial conditions, though. She says that, quote, financial conditions in the United States have recently become less supportive of growth. These developments, if they prove persistent, could weigh on the outlook for economic activity and the labor market. So we're watching. Now, the important thing to keep in mind that many on Wall Street seem to have forgotten in the last six weeks is on Wall Street, you got a mark to market every day. The Fed doesn't have to. They don't have to make a decision until the morning of March 16th. So they're going to keep an eye on what's going on. If it continues as it has, they won't raise rates. If suddenly we see a change, they might. Yeah, I strongly support that. And one of the themes today, and thank you for the huge Twitter response to this collegial debate with people on both sides of the debate, Mark, Mike, is should people, should business people, should pundits and media types like you and me, should the Fed ignore the markets? I've made clear I'm in the camp that the markets don't have a behavioral construct and that the markets um, are the markets, and they're pricing in their assessment of risk. I, I think that's one of the debates she may touch we, upon. Today. Well, we don't know whether the markets are reflecting developments in the economy, predicting developments in the economy, or decoupled from developments Our, our in next the guest has 14 textbooks at home that address this topic. Yes, Steve Rusciuto is uh, chief economist at Mizuho. Uh, Steve, your takeaway from this about uh, the Fed's stance? Well, I think you're both 100% correct in the idea that for them, they have the time to wait. Again, they don't have to make the decision until the middle of March. Everybody else is trying to run ahead of their assumptions. They're just going to sit, watch, and wait. And the verbiage that came out here was very, very consistent with what we saw come out of the last post-meeting policy statement, where they did not have an operating bias to their policy. So everything here is very, very consistent with that. I think the market's problem is the market went into this expecting some great surprise to some extent by Janet Yellen. There was a lot of discussion about looking for, you know, Operation Twist 2 or some other adjustment in terms of quantitative easing or some other adjustment uh, in terms of where the forward outlook would go on interest rates. And you kind of got none of that. You got basically a rational discussion of the conditions that are out there. And I think personally that markets do not do a very good job of predicting what's happening with the underlying economy and the risks posed by the underlying economy. Because since 1990, we've had three recessions, and those recessions have been credit-oriented. And when you look at the underlying credit quality of the U.S. economy, whether it be non-financial corporates, households, or banks, they're in a heck of a lot better position than they were at each right. of the last three beginnings of business cycle. Let's come back. Steve Rashota will have a longer conversation on this, unfair to him, as we had to go through the headlines. He is with Missouri looking forward to uh, Mr. Rashuto's. Uh, thoughts here on monetary policy. And again, the Q&A with uh, Chairman Anserling, the ranking member, Maxine Waters and others of the committee is always important. I don't in any way belittle the value uh, that we see out of selected House questions. What's moved? Equity markets pull in a little bit. Oil. 
Oil has dropped like a rock. I just got a 2797 print on oil, and we are going to retest yesterday's lows. That's what you need to know. Oil just fell out of bed, 2796. Brent crude with a 30 handle, 30.56. Yield stable, the 10-year, 1.76%. The other big issue for the markets today, the New Hampshire primary. Michael Barr has the very latest. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. The presidential candidates now have their sights set for South Carolina and Nevada. Donald Trump had a sound win last night in the New Hampshire Republican primary. Ohio Governor John Kasich finished second behind Trump. Kasich is now under attack by former Florida Governor Jeb Bush. However, Kasich says he is sticking with his game plan. They are spending all their money going negative. And uh, when you pound me, I'm going to have to defend myself. But I, I think it's sad. I think it's a sad situation when you've got to rely on negative to move voters, which they haven't been able to do. Meanwhile, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie told his supporters last night he was heading home to his state to take a deep breath and assess what comes next. And the Christie organizer says the New Jersey governor has canceled an event today in South Carolina. For the Democrats, Bernie Sanders beat Hillary Clinton in the New Hampshire Democratic primary by 21 percentage points. The next stop for the Democrats is the Nevada caucus on February 20th. The man convicted of killing Senator Robert F. Kennedy has been consistent in saying he remembers none of it. Sirhan Sirhan is up for parole again today. A military spokesman says the U.S. Army will deploy hundreds more soldiers to aid Afghan forces who are fighting the Taliban. According to the New York Times, the troops will be sent to the Helmand province. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Thank you, Michael. Now let's check in with John Stashauer for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. John? All right, Mike. Knicks hit the All-Star break with a six-game losing streak. Just one win over their last 11 games, as has been happening repeatedly. They fell behind big early on, rallied back, but lost at the end. 28 points. Porzingis inbounds to Calderon. Calderon quickly to the front court. Now to Galloway for three. And oh, oh. short. Just missed it. He falls down on the ground and would have tied the game. And the Knicks lose 111 to 108. Knicks radio. Washington made 16 of 26 three-pointers. John Wall, 28.17 assists. Carmelo Anthony led New York with 33. Kurt Rambis loses his Knicks coaching debut. They just made good shots. You know, we, we made the switches that we wanted. We made the defensive adjustment that we wanted, but they still hit shots. And then we also made some mistakes that opened up the three-point shot. So it was a tough night for us. We feel like we we made the adjustment to stop their transition in the second half. Local hockey saw the Devils and Islanders both win. Devils 2-1 over Edmonton and the three-game losing streak before they started. They honored Marty Brodeur. They retired his number of the winningest goalie in NHL history. They earlier unveiled a statue of Brodeur outside the arena. Islanders in Columbus won 3-2 in a shootout. The Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. I'm John Stashauer. John, thanks so much. Mr. Brodeur, for those of you worldwide, was better than good. Mike, he was resilient, wasn't he? Yeah. Mar- Marty Brodeur just was there every game. Gaming, well, game and for years. years. Yeah. For years. We should we should be have that kind of career. And I, I think of him like Tom Seaver, the baseball player, that he changed his game. He went from, you know, jumping around, making impossible saves, to being more cagey and smart. You don't see that. It's sort of a Peyton Manning-ish thing, kind of thing. Oh, God. Okay, for, for Ken Felio, please get out the cold play <laughs> if you can. Futures up 12. Dow Futures up 77. 
The 10-year yield, 1.75%. This is Bloomberg Peyton Manning's surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Flushing Bank. Open a complete business checking account with $15,000 or more and get a free 16-gig Wi-Fi tablet. Visit FlushingBank.com for more details. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? This is SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. U.S. stock index futures paired gains. They're higher again, though, after Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen said financial conditions have become less supportive of growth, while the central bank still expects to raise interest rates gradually. So we saw futures briefly pairing gains after those comments. Yellen made the comments in testimony prepared for delivery before the House Financial Services Committee today. We do check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 15 points. Dow E-mini futures up 101. And NASDAQ E-mini futures up 55. DAX in Germany is up 2.1%. Ten-year Treasury down 7.30 seconds. The yield 1.75%. NYMEX crude oil is up 4 tenths percent or 11 cents at 28.05 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 8 tenths percent or $9.30 to 11.89.50 an ounce. The euro, $1.1237. The yen, 114.82. And the European Union and U.S. regulators have reached a common approach on oversight of the $553 trillion global derivatives market. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. I just put out the oil chart, a fancy oil chart on uh, Bloomberg Radio Plus. I'll get that on social here uh, in a minute. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Megan McArdle, a columnist for Bloomberg View. President Barack Obama's proposal to levy a $10 barrel tax on oil reminds me of an eternal truth that applies to almost all working humans. Once you know you're on short time, about to be transferred or discharged, a certain puckish insouciance seeps into the performance of your daily duties. Presidential budgets are always more wish list than to do, of course. Assumptions are made, hopeful suggestions offered, and then Congress chuckles and says, good one chief before returning to whatever they were doing before. This is especially true when the opposition controls both legislative houses. And it's most very especially true during the last years of a presidency, when a lonely nation's eyes turn towards the folks vying to replace you. Even by these standards, however, a $10 a barrel oil tax is a bold choice. There's something to be said for such taxes, of course. They're efficient, easy to collect, and they might help to do something about global warming. But they're also regressive and wildly unpopular. Republicans are not going to stick their necks out to help Obama pass it. But that's not the purpose of these sorts of proposals. They are feel-good projects aimed at firing up the base for November and perhaps at setting the agenda for a successor he hopes will also be a Democrat. As a policy proposal, this tax is DOA, but as politics, it might have a longer life. I'm Megan McArdle. For more of you, please go to BloombergView.com or ViewGo on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Mike, it is Steve Rusciuto, the patient one. 
<laughs> we thank him for being so patient as we work our way through all these headlines. It's an unusual uh, change that the Congress has made in the release system for testimony. They let us have it at 8.30 in the morning instead of right at 10 when she begins her testimony. Steve, uh, along with the testimony from Janet Yellen, we get the Fed's monetary policy report. And in a magnificent job of telling us what we already know, uh, they suggest that the divergence in policy between the United States, Europe, and Japan is having effects. <laughs> the dollar is stronger, damping U.S. exports, but also contributing to stabilization abroad and uh, attracting money into the United States that pushes down on interest rates. Are we at a point now where divergence may become less of an issue if the Fed is more constrained and if the Bank of Japan has done negative interest rates and, as you can, as we can see in the markets today, getting almost nothing for it? Yeah, I think looking at the currency, we may be at the beginning of a transition where relative interest rates matter less. And who is into deflation and locked into deflation or heading into deflation matters more. It's a transition from relative interest rate to purchasing power parity. And in the purchasing power parity transition, what happens is the country that is deflating the most is the one that winds up with the strongest country currency. The one that is deflating the second most winds up with the second strongest current currency. And the one that actually has some positive inflation winds up with the weakest currency. And that's why when you look at some of the trade-weighted dollars uh, indices, you've seen that the dollars have actually gone down relative to a market basket of currencies since um, BOJ uh, Governor Kuroda made his surprise announcement on negative interest rates. Well, does that put a floor under uh, what the central banks can do so that um, the dollar is is not the issue for the United States going forward? It certainly becomes a bigger problem for overseas central banks if this transition does take place. It looks like it's happening in Japan. We're not so sure yet whether it's actually happening in Euroland, which I think would be the next one for it to happen, and then potentially China being the third one. But, yes, it does help out domestic corporations, even in a very, very sluggish global environment like the one we're dealing with. Purchasing power parity and the switch to a weaker currency will have positive effects for internationals, for earnings, uh, for some of the technology companies, especially the more monoline technology companies uh, that have a lot of overseas earnings that they could bring back uh, in that environment. So, yes, it does have a positive effect for things, and it is a likely transition. It's just a question of whether it's happened yet or not. Steve, fold in global liquidity worries. This is the farthest thing from politicians in the, the U.S. mind. Does Chair Yellen, is she compelled, not in testimony, we've seen the testimony, but in Q&A today, is she compelled to, to reaffirm financial stability in the global system? Well, I think to some extent the statements that have already come out in the um, February uh, policy discussion that was already released in the statement kind of do a little bit of that because they've taken a backpedal from the very, very strong verbiage that they had at the time of December when they raised rates. And when they raised rates in December, it looked like they were on, for most people, it looked like they were on a course of 100 basis points worth of increase in 2016, a glide path towards three, three, three basis, 300 percent or three, uh, three, three percent point rise in interest rates over time. Now, clearly, after they've gotten off zero and they've seen what's happened in terms of 
uh, the underlying macroeconomic data, they're a little bit less willing to push that direction. But when you look at some of the data that's come out since the last FOMC meeting, the continued decline in, in uh, productivity, the rise in unit labor costs, uh, the hourly earnings number that came out last Friday, or for that matter, the JOLTS data that came out yesterday in terms of what it said going in terms of the way they read it with regard to the labor market, you really come back and say the labor market was their problem in December. And if things stabilize, the labor market could become their problem again by the time we get to the March meeting. So I don't think financial market volatility is weighing as much on the committee as they're willing to give it lip service, as they've done several times in the past nine months, and then they back away from it as soon as the market stabilizes. So any little stability that comes out of the market, I think they're out to, to backpedal on this one. The, uh, the the House is not generally friendly to uh, Federal Reserve chairs, so do you expect them to ask her, is it your fault by raising rates that we have seen this volatility and the economic slowdown? There's certainly been a lot of press headlines to that extent. I never thought they should raise interest rates. I do think some of this is their fault because the way they had to set it up, because they couldn't say one and done, which is what most people in the markets wanted them to do. They had to set it up in this labor market context this way they could prove themselves consistent. And the labor market hasn't disappointed, so they're kind of locked into this mousetrap of theirs. So, yes, those questions are going to come up. She's going to have to defend her monetary policy decision, and that's where I think the negatives will come in terms of the bulk of the testimony that comes on later today. She's going to have to defend what she did. She now owns that trade. Why was it bad? Well, again, it wasn't bad in terms of just 25 basis points. It was bad in terms of the way they had to do it. They had to do it with this concept that 2% growth is too strong. Corporate America, don't worry about the fact that you have zero pricing power. 2% growth is too strong. It's creating a labor market that's tightening, that's going to lead to wage pressures down the pipeline, and we're not going to let that continue. That's the message she gave out in December, and that's what's transmitted finally through into the, labor, into the equity markets with the volatility we're getting. If you're a corporate CEO and you're sitting there saying, you know, the Fed's telling you we're done and this is the best we can do, markets were overvalued, and that's exactly what investor base mm-hmm. did. Markets were overvalued, and they were adjusting on the backdrop of that. That was the mistake. If they just came out and were able to say one and done, or maybe one and maybe we'll do one more, we just got to get off zero to some right. they couldn't do, the market would be uh, harmed. Steve, thank you so much. Steve Rusciuto with uh, On the Spot Analysis with Mizuho. Of, uh, again, as Michael McKee said, this is a different process. My, Mike, I sort of like this. Instead of 10 o'clock and a mad scramble of headlines while she's speaking, you know, maybe with this coming out now, maybe do you think she'll speak less about the testimony? Will she read the whole testimony? She will read, she will read the testimony. Um, Even though all the politicians and their staff, their good staffs. Well, they are. The I mean, that's a secret in the past. They, she gives the testimony to the House committee the night before. They've all read it by the time they get there. Uh, but she reads it for public consumption and to put it into the record. The. The cynical view of what the House may have done is uh, nobody ever paid attention to what the members of Congress were saying because we were always so busy digesting the headlines. So now maybe we will listen to the opening statements. Uh, that would be the cynical. Not that anybody should ever be cynical about what Congress does, but uh, that may be it. Uh, interesting that markets are hanging in there, Tom. Uh, no change at all, really, in the yield curve from Yellen's yeah. testimony. Uh, we talked earlier about her trying to get in and out 
in a Hippocratic manner, do no harm. Yeah. Uh, so far, the testimony suggests she might yeah, be able to I, do that. Yeah, I would. Oil is, is soft, but I'm not going to ascribe oil so much to it. Granted, it went down with the release of the comments, but <clears throat> the other markets don't confirm the correlation of oil down. I will watch Japanese yen 114.84 is a stronger yen in the last post-Yellen uh, minutes. This is a lot of fun. Monetary economics with Michael McKee. It doesn't get better than this. Stay with us. <laughs> 